Well, welcome everyone. It's great to be with you today and I'm sure by now that you know that I'm Brad um, and uh, forgive me as I spend some time uh, learning all of your, your names over time. Um, well, I'm sure we can all agree that Jesus is lovely. He was a, a peaceful man who preached love. How could anyone possibly hate what he had to say? And surely if uh, the way that you follow Jesus makes people angry or deeply offends them, then you can't be doing it right, can you? Because God is love and Jesus is God. I wonder if you've heard this kind of idea and if you've been tempted to believe it. It's a perspective that's kind of uh, announced by people who aren't necessarily that familiar with what the Bible says. And if we're feeling unsure, stressed or embarrassed, we can be tempted to think that it sounds fairly logical. But the truth is, Jesus said he is the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. His gospel was life-changing but exceedingly offensive to those who don't want to hear it. It was so offensive that those who he came to save flogged him brutally and put him to death on the cross. In today's passage, we see how it deeply offends the leaders of the temple. And in our world today, we can sense that it's deeply offending some people who don't want to know about these exclusive uh, and yet wonderful ways to find life and hope in Christ. And sometimes when people are offended by the gospel, uh, they can get pretty nasty towards those who are living and sharing it, which means it can be really hard to stand up for Jesus in a society that finds his words offensive. This is the world we live in. For example, many in our society find Jesus' teaching about marriage and human sexuality to be deeply offensive. The society the apostles were living in also found the gospel of Jesus deeply offensive. And so let's look a little bit closer at what we can learn about how to live as God's people in times like these. In the book of Acts, uh, we see uh, the leaders of Jerusalem, the high priests, the Sadducees, teachers of the law, and the Pharisees, and they'd just killed Jesus, and they thought they had all the power. They were big, and the followers of Jesus were small. They were the grand masters, and the followers of Jesus were like little pawns. They had worked with the mighty Roman Empire to put Jesus to death, and it seemed to them that it was checkmate, game over. This lunig comic captures it well. A couple of Roman soldiers pointing at the cross and they say, look at that, brilliant. You kill the leader and you nip the whole movement in the bud. (laughs) Well, little did they know, uh, they were not up against mere flesh and blood. They were not up against a, a human movement, but they were trying to fight against God himself. The book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, But I think it's much more than that. I think it should be called the continuing Acts of Jesus by his spirit through his followers. I know it's a little bit clunky, uh, but I think it's much more accurate. The continuing Acts of Jesus by his spirit through his followers. 
Jesus is risen from the dead. He's ascended to the Father's side. And that same Jesus is still sovereign and in charge. His spirit, the Holy Spirit, is at work within and through his followers. And I think the church sometimes gets a little lost when it loses sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is united with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the same spirit of Jesus. Our God is sovereign. He rules over all things. And this passage helps us to see that no matter what the circumstances, God is in control and he is faithful. Leading up to our passage, we have um, the apostles praying in chapter 4, verse 29. And they pray, Lord, consider the threats against us. Uh, that is threats from the high priests, the temple guards, the, the rulers like Herod and Pontius Pilate. I wonder what threats that you might think are up against us today. In this time when it can be so unpopular to follow Jesus, what threats come to mind? What threats will we bring before God in prayer? Lord, consider these threats against us. And what, protect us? Shield us from them? Well, they continue praying. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. This, this prayer is answered immediately. The, the, the room they're in shakes, and, but it also is answered in an ongoing way. Uh, so they immediately from there go out and speak God's word boldly. God's answering their prayer straight away. And then in chapter 5, verse 12, God answers that prayer again by performing signs and wonders through the apostles. He heals the sick and those troubled by impure spirits. God is still sovereign, he's ruling, and he is faithful. And even with opposition, God added more and more men and women to the number of believers. And next, as we heard, the high priest and the Sadducees had the apostles imprisoned. So that makes us ask the question, how could God possibly still be faithful and sovereign if he let something like that happen? This is his, his new movement to transform the world, and yet his apostles are imprisoned. Well, in this particular situation, the angel of the Lord comes and sets them free. And God, in verse 20, recommissions them with the task of preaching the whole of this message of the new life they were living. See, God is still sovereign and he's faithful. And his message is still going forth and people are able to see this new life being lived out by the apostles and other believers. But God doesn't always miraculously deliver his imprisoned or persecuted followers, does he? See, God's sovereignty is much greater than that. He will work this way one time and another way another time. In this passage, he broke them out of prison, but you've heard of Paul's prison epistles. Paul wasn't always broken out of prison. Uh, he actually spent a long time in prison, and he wrote many letters to the early churches because he was stuck in prison. So imagine if he was able to get out of prison miraculously, and then he wouldn't have written those letters, and we wouldn't have half of the New Testament. God works powerfully 
through these situations to carry out his good and perfect plans. Now we can see God working powerfully. In verse 28, the high priest says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus, and yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You've filled Jerusalem with your teaching. This is the happy result of their persecution. The priest tried to silence them, and yet God spoke boldly through them, spoke powerfully through them, his word of truth. This happens again uh, in chapter 8 as persecution breaks out across the church in Jerusalem and, and the followers of Jesus are scattered and God uses that powerfully. The people went throughout Judea and Samaria and as they went, they preached God's word. People were converted. God in his sovereignty used that persecution for good. We see God is sovereign And he's faithful. And we see this also in the way the apostles um, endure and rejoice in sufferings incurred in the line of duty for Jesus. This may seem backward, illogical, or simply strange, but the Bible has many examples of God using suffering for good. Of turning around terrible circumstances for his glory and the redemption of his people. Uh, The Apostle Paul boasts in his weaknesses because Christ is revealed in them. The strength of Christ radiates through his weaknesses in his times of distress or suffering. And indeed, in our times of distress or suffering, our weaknesses, God shines through. So we see that God is sovereign, that he reigns in all of these different situations and he's faithful. At the beginning of our reading, the high priest and the Sadducees were offended by the apostles' preaching of Christ, and they wanted to kill them. Why would this be? Well, the high priest and the Sadducees, they were the established religious leaders. They knew God the best out of everybody. They kept the law as best they could. They spent time and energy devoting themselves to the upkeep of the temple, the reading of scriptures and prayers. They concerned themselves with correct doctrine, with the purity of Israel, and with correcting those who didn't keep the law. In their understanding, God was holy. Israel were his special people, and the land was their inheritance. And the temple was a place where heaven touches earth, where God's presence lived and so when the christians came into the temple preaching the gospel of christ and doing signs and wonders in this temple they were indignant to them the apostles were undermining the order of things as they should be it was sacrilegious it was deeply offensive and so in verse 18 the apostles are put in jail can you imagine How discouraging this might have been for them. Uh, These were God's people on Jesus' mission together. And yet God let them be imprisoned? Well, the apostles were obedient to God despite that discouragement. They received renewed commission from the angel and they obeyed immediately. I don't know about you, but... I find that the times that I'm most likely to 
give in to uh, pressure. The most time, the times when I'm most likely to do the wrong thing are when I'm discouraged. And I imagine the apostles there in the jail, discouraged. I don't know exactly how long they were there for. But if I were them, if we were them, we may be tempted to take the easy route to stop proclaiming Jesus. There was a lot of pressure. And so it certainly seems to me to have been a supernatural, counterintuitive response that they went straight back out and kept on preaching Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit at work in them, comforting and empowering them, could have caused this to happen. And it's the same for us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And he's the one who emboldens us and gives us power when we trust in him. Now, Peter here is a very different character to in the Gospels. We see him filled with the Spirit and with boldness. Before that, he was impulsive. He was a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. He was the one to whom Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. And he was the one who most loudly proclaimed his loyalty to Jesus, only to deny him three times before he was crucified. But the way that Peter was obedient was that when he messed up, which he did, he always came back to Jesus. Coming back to Jesus every time we blunder is part of that process of learning obedience. And the great news for us is that the Holy Spirit is both a a personal witness to us of all that Christ has done, and he's the one who empowers us, who emboldens us to speak about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, we see that when we are persecuted or face opposition, Jesus says, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This is talking about a specific mission of the 12 disciples, uh, but that very same Holy Spirit who's speaking through them, has us in his grasp and will not let us go. Later in that same passage about opposition, Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And then for those of us who believe, he continues telling us that we're incredibly valuable and we do not need to fear. He sums up in verses 32 and 3. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Ouch. Did you hear that? Whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Costly obedience isn't optional. It's part of following Jesus. If we want Jesus to remember us in heaven, we can't deny him here on earth. But our Jesus is with us. He's strengthening us every step of the way. Now, these days, there may be, uh, there are many little and not so little moments where it seems easier to deny Jesus to back down, to not mention what we really believe 
and to hope that that tension, that fire will die down. And so it comes to this choice. Do we choose Jesus and along with him the possibility of persecution and opposition? Or do we choose against him? When we choose Jesus and open ourselves to opposition, then how do we live? Well, we follow in the apostles' footsteps. They prayed for boldness, for signs and wonders. So let's pray for boldness, yes. And let's pray that God would work powerfully in the way that he wants to, whether that is miraculously setting us free from opposition, persecution or imprisonment, or whether that's working powerfully through us as we face that opposition or struggles. Jesus still rules by his spirit. He still holds all of the keys. He can open any door. He can work through his people being imprisoned and writing letters, or he he can open the doors and set his people free to preach. And he invites us to join him in bringing this new life, to find purpose in loving and proclaiming him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we recognise your sovereignty and your faithfulness. Lead us in obedience as we join in with Jesus' work. Jesus, you continue to reign And we pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us boldness to speak just like the apostles did. Move powerfully in our midst with signs, wonders and healing. And in spite of opposition, Lord, empower us to obey you. Come, Holy Spirit. Touch us now. Embolden us and lead us in your ways. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.